Do the trashy pulp novels of the world have anything to offer? Our bestseller is all they're cracked up to be. Here at Terrible Book Club, we explore whether you really can judge a book by its cover or its ridiculous synopsis. You ever passed a book and thought, ugh, who's reading this? We probably are. Welcome to episode 164 of the Terrible Book Club. I'm Chris, and this is Paris. Hello. This time we read Pairs and Perils by Drew Hayes, published in 2013 by Thunder Pair Publishing, which might be the funniest vanity publishing name we've seen so far. <laughs> Our patron Luchek requested this saying, I decided to go a little different with my request for 2023. Drew Hayes is becoming one of my favorite comedic authors. His NPCs and Fred the Vampire account series are very good, but we all have to start somewhere. So I was hoping you'd read his first published novel, Pairs and Perils. Thank you, Luchek. Yeah, thanks for recommending this. This was uh, definitely an interesting one. Uh, if this is your first time listening to this show, listener, uh, what we do here at the Terrible Book Club is we read books that we assume will be bad based on their cover, title, summary, or some combination of the three. Uh, however, sometimes, like today, we read books that our patrons, listeners, or friends recommend. So we typically do the opposite of what most people do when they are in a bookstore or while they're browsing the internet looking for something to read. Typically, this experiment results in a hilarious and disappointing read for us, but once in a while, we actually do end up liking the book. Before we get going today, just keep in mind that in addition to our usual barnyard language, today's episode includes a little bit of uh, kidnapping discussion. That's about it. It's pretty pretty clean otherwise. Just some swears and kidnapping today. Nothing, nothing major. <laughs> the, the sexual assault gremlin isn't even here today. We're free for just this one time. He took the day off. Or did we slew him at last? <laughs> <laughs> did we? Is it did we slew or is it have we slain? That, yes. That Thou hast slain, <laughs> slung. We have slung it. The gremlin has been slunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, luckily, an episode that hopefully you know will not will not leave you feeling away. Uh, Chris, would you like to read the summary, or would you like me to read this? I'll read the back of the book one of the characters, and you can do the one that we wrote. Okay, cool. So, uh, Chris is going to read you the back of the book. You know, what was supposed to lure you in to, to uh, I don't know, to eat a pear on a peril or whatever the fuck this title yeah. is. <laughs> Most people would be overjoyed to win $50,000 and the chance to star in a nationwide commercial even if it was just for a fast food joint like Camelot Burger. Then again, Clint Tucker has never been like most people. Ushered to the tropical paradise of Kenawai, he and the other winners undertake an island tradition for the cameras, one meant to free a local imprisoned deity, one with very specific requirements that have yet to be met, one that might just be a bit more authentic than any of them expected, one that will begin a journey fraught with danger, excitement, and more beer than is wise or healthy. 
All right. Thank you. All right, Chris, why don't you introduce us to our characters and our uh, general setting here? Um, we have Clint Tucker, who is the protag and God container for this. There's a God in him at some point. Kotawande is that God, the God of Kenawai, a specific island that is, I'm guessing, supposed to be a Hawaii analog? Yeah, that, that's what made the most sense to me. A Pacific island, probably Hawaii. <laughs> yes. Um, we have Lawrence, the fixer for Camelot Burgers, sort of the antagonist here, you could say. Um, he He's like second in company. He's like the CEO's personal assistant, but also does most of the logistical work for a lot of things. I mean, he's kind of the professional schemer. Like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know. Um, there is the King of Kenawai, a cat who's really only relevant to because like it's somehow deific a little bit. And that's what actually makes the ritual work in, in this story. Chris, how dare um, you? His name is Sprinkles. That's I, I thought I thought I read in the book that he didn't like being called that. So I was trying to be deferential and respectful. So <laughs> the King of Kenawai you... Sprinkles the cat, everyone. Uh, there is April, smart lady contestant, Falcon, hippie lady contestant, uh, Thunder, son of Camelot Burger CEO and general frat bro. Uh, there is Mono, the island native slash resort employee who assists the group. Dr. Kaya Hale, also an island native and researcher. And then you have Justin and Dustin, the twin evil AV techs. <laughs> this is just such a god. Having you read the characters and setting, it. It just the Scooby Dooishness has <laughs> fallen upon me. <laughs> you you just realized Descended. this now? No, no. I it's it's just the feeling is deeper now. Yes. Somehow, it could also be the gin I'm having. Uh, <laughs> all right. So we're gonna go ahead and read you a sort of basic, high level overview plot summary, so that as we are discussing what we liked or didn't like about the book, you will mostly understand and not have to read it yourself. Clint Tucker lives in an assisted living facility, despite being young and not needing assistance. He just wants the quiet life. Clint has a soft spot for Mrs. Rose, a neighbor in the assisted living facility who needs more serious care, but he doesn't have the money to give her. Of course, one day, after a particularly harrowing shift as a professional scapegoat, he conveniently gets a Willy Wonka-ass ticket on a burger wrapper that earns him a starring role in a commercial for Camelot Burger with the payment of $50,000. The commercial is a promotion for the chain's new Island Burger and requires Clint and the other two winners, Falcon and April, to work with Dr. Kaya Hale and Thunder, the CEO's son, to complete a traditional ritual on the island of Kenawai to free Kodewande, a god who was imprisoned for plucking a rare flower from the top of a mountain peak. You know, god shit. Also, I don't understand why they wouldn't just hire actors for much less than $50,000 each, but maybe they thought it was a good publicity stunt. Anyway, they go do the ritual, and the first part of it actually works, much to the surprise of everyone involved, and Kudawande, the god, takes up residence within Clint's body. They quickly discover there is a second step to the ritual, whereby they must use the key ingredient from the first ritual, one of the island's special pears, at a specific temple to ask nature's forgiveness to fully restore Kudawande and get him into his own corporeal form and out of Clint's body. After this, the twin AV team contracted to film the commercial, Justin and Dustin, are hired by Lawrence, the Camelot Burger Fixer representative, to intervene with the completion of the ritual and steal the pair so he 
can make himself a god. He summons and brokers a deal with another god, Felbrin, the trickster, who he decides he will also double-cross. There is some exchanging of the pair for drama, which ends up with the group confronting Lawrence in a temple. Lawrence is full of Felbrin juice at this point after making the deal, so he can capture and immobilize the group before he has, you know, a little time to murder them. Thanks to the power of friendship, though, Clint is able to turn his Kodewande juice into a concentrate and therefore overpower the spell and Lawrence, so Kodewande can be freed and all of his friends are freed unharmed as well. Once they leave the island, Falcon uses her former super lawyer powers to enact the corporate takeover of Camelot Burger and buys out a majority of the company's shares, setting Thunder up as a CEO in training while demoting his shitty dad. Clint gets prize money, as does, you know, everyone else, but it turns out he didn't need it because Kodawande's pears can cure dementia, I guess. Also, Thunder and April are totally in love or whatever. The end. <laughs> Hooray! That's a cute little summary there. Yeah, what a what a weird story from what we're used to reading on this show. I was I gotta say, it's certainly different, right? Yeah, very different. Um all right, yeah, let's uh let's start off with things that were good. Uh Chris, do you want to take us away on this one? Sure. I mean, this is your classic opener. Very few typos. We always want to start out with the bare minimum here at Terrible Book Club, just to confirm that there is a competent author at the helm here. Page is made of 70% cotton, 30% nylon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Only a, you know, har- partly synthetic author. We only used a little bit of AI in here. <laughs> um, and it felt pretty edited and was an easy read. I wasn't ever confused. Yeah, no. It felt really brisk, honestly, getting through it. It, it was yeah. like 260-something pages. It Two, didn't really feel like that. It didn't really feel like that to me. No, and I wonder, I always wonder, like, how they structure page counts in electronic books because it did feel way quicker than that and the font was kind of big. So maybe, anyway, point being, it was, yeah, it was briskly uh, put together, no issues with pacing or anything. So yeah, that was fine. Uh, We've got a main character who is actually somewhat novel. I mean, he's still, you know, a young white guy, but he's a young man who isn't, pursuing anything and the motivation for him to take action and move the plot along is actually i guess we would consider kind of pure he really just wants to like help out an old lady who's his neighbor who and his friend who is experiencing early signs of dementia and needs greater care but can't afford it so there's no there's no love interest there's no (laughs) grab there's no grab for power there's no a revenge plot it's just like he just kind of feels ethically obligated because like he sees the opportunity to get money not even for his own self-interest he's like well this lady could really use it and i have the opportunity to make that happen there's a point early in the story where he sees the thing at first and then he throws it away and then he sees Mrs. Rose later and he like goes back to get the wrapper and he's kind of like sighs and goes, I guess I'm just, I got to do this. Yeah. You know, $50,000 probably go a long way. And, you know, whenever this was written before 2013. Um, so that was that was refreshing, certainly. Uh, I think the, the other thing that really struck me about this book as super positive that sort of you know raised its rating for me was its representation of indigenous people you know even if it's fictitious i thought the author at least from my limited perspective had a totally anti-racist approach to 
his depiction of indigenous Pacific Islanders, you know, in this case, the Kennewai people who were pretty sure are supposed to be native Hawaiians. Kudos, kudos to the author for this. I mean, the characters who were indigenous were nuanced. They were not stereotypes in any way. Um, people. There was people. They weren't. They weren't tokenized by the book or the other characters. They have their own culture that they, you know, interact with in different ways. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, Yeah, I can't say enough about how great that part of this book was. And considering we've read so many books that fail to represent marginalized folks well, again, this is a really notable achievement. Thank you, uh, Drew Hayes. I actually think those characters (laughs) were the most interesting characters in the story because Dr. Kaya had some depth in that she was, you know, she's originally very science-minded. There's another character who is as well, but Dr. Kaya is the one that you spend some time with because she grabs the pair that is sort of the thing that everyone's after in most of the story. And she's spending most of the first half of the book researching things, looking for more answers you know, within her own culture, which I think is an interesting plot line to be on. And sure, she has to avoid, you know, the evil AV team and other Camelot Burger minions and things like that. But her and Mono, who is, you know, basically he interacts with the group at first and they come to him for some help to like drive up a mountain to get to a temple later. And he's like, kind of game because the cat's there and he respects the cat as the king of Kenawai. Not in a way that's... Just because he likes the cat, it's not like he's really that reli- like. Yeah, like- it's it's yeah. There's there's just the right amount and touch. Like all the spices were measured impeccably in this, <laughs> this dish of a book. I know we love to use food metaphors on the show. It's all we can think about. Always thinking about it. It's yeah, always same. on my mind. Same. I'm hungry always. right now. Always, always want a snack. But um, yeah, just the way that characters were developed, they weren't too deep there's a reasonable amount of additional layers we get insight a little bit of background uh nothing felt overly stereotypical due to the right amount of depth given uh and yeah just like they worked well together they're even even the characters language and dialogue were appropriate i yeah i gotta say all that stuff was really good really well done um, I also thought the supernatural stuff had reasonable rules. You know, sometimes I think on this show we might come across as like, well, that can't happen in real life, so it's bad. That's not really what we're saying a lot of the time. We just need it to be kind of bounded in some and coherent way. Coherent and have rules that make Yeah, because sort of if, some if sense, it's just, yeah. oh, and then the god powers make it so you can do anything um, and you can like rewrite reality at a whim, then there's no stakes for anything anymore. So the stakes here are essentially that the more... Clint taps into Kotawande's latent powers that he has a little bit of access to because he's not fully freed. Sort of the more that Clint and Kotawande get tied up in each other and sort of what Clint is gets a little bit more askew as things go on, which is kind of a neat consequence in a way, right? It's not just like he will die. It's like something is fundamentally a little bit different about him and that feels weird, which is an interesting consequence to think about it's like i could still use this and but then i'll be a little bit more kotawande than me and does it something i want to be i like me yeah yeah for sure i i agree with you that i i did think the powers and stuff as described for the most part had decent bounds i will disagree a little bit i thought i thought some of the supernatural stuff was so corny that my eyes just rolled 
all the way into the back of my head, but we can talk <laughs> about that a little bit. Uh, in general, though, I agree. Um, I also just want to say I'm always here for a cool cat sidekick. We had a cool cat sidekick in this book. Um, he's he's here and there for most of the book. Uh, gotta gotta love me some sprinkles. The, the king of Kenaway. I, I also prefer really a good dog sidekick myself, but that's just personal preference. Yeah, animal animal sidekicks. I really like that sprinkles the king of Kenaway. Just gonna make sure I use this full title to not incur any wrath. Um, I I like that at the very beginning, like the very beginning of the book, it's like he's a he's a a half deity or whatever. And you never get a fucking answer. All you need to know is that either is that some god fucked a cat and now there's a half god cat. <laughs> like that's all that's all you can assume. Like we have a, a very Zeus like deity on this island, I guess, just fucking animals making weird you know, half demigod cats. There and seems I thought to be a shark that hilarious. has person like animals in general have personality in this book too, which is, you know, a nice departure. Yeah, right. We get a little bit of Sprinkle's personality, a little bit of a shark. Uh, but yeah, the shark stuff is. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, there's there's a shark that likes beer. I guess that's all you need to know. Who's like Mono's buddy? Uh, yeah. So I thought all that stuff was great. Um, also, we've got you know some bits of good humor and good writing here. I can go ahead and read these, unless you'd rather do that, Chris. I'll do. How about the first two? You can do the next two, and then I'll do the last one. Okay. All right. So some snippets we have here that are, you know just you know got a good sensible chuckle. I mean, I'm never really guffawing out loud when I read books, but like you know you get that internal like <laughs> that kind of thing happening is usually you know when I read a good funny in a book, and this had right. some of them. So here's one example. This is talking about the CEO of uh, Camelot Burger. Edward hadn't come into this office by backstabbing or corporate treachery either. No, he'd done it the old-fashioned way. By being born into money. <laughs> I don't know. It gave me, a, gave me a little chuckle. Here's another one. Describing the same person. Edward loved his child, but it was in the same way that the son loved the earth. There was a distant relationship, and the knowledge that the latter depended on the former. However, the two were so compositionally different that achieving any true sense of mutual understanding was mere fantasy. It's just a nice way to describe, you know, two people that have a relationship but definitely won't understand each other. I, you know, I think, I think I think that definitely uh, satisfies your criteria for it made different things in my brain touch each other. And I went, huh, nice yes. work. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. I, I, I got one for you. This is uh, Mono, the uh, native Kenawayan who works at the resort and ends up getting, you know, tangled up in our in our group here. Here you are, ladies. You be sure to let Mano know if there's anything else you need. Mano flashed his best helper grin. He didn't usually refer to himself in the third person, but for some reason, people thought it sounded more authentic for a foreigner to have such a poor concept of pronouns. Mano personally held that sellout son of a bitch Tonto responsible for such an erroneous idea, hamming it up for the Lone Ranger and the millions watching at home. The seed was planted long ago, though, and Mano saw no reason why he couldn't rake in some higher tips from the tree of ignorance that had grown out of it. A really great characterization, like nuanced characterization of how uh, an indigenous person could feel, you know, and how many do feel about 
you know, non-Indigenous perceptions of them and how sometimes it might be maybe okay to take advantage of that because you're already you're already starting at a lower rung of the ladder anyway, so why not, you know? I thought that was really good. Oh, this is this is a, just one of those lines, again, that just made me laugh and also was really a really great, concise characterization. Creepy and with little grasp of subtlety, Justin had all the makings of a great ex-boyfriend. That's funny. That's a good line. <laughs> yeah, these, good some line, of these man. are like mm, real good. All right, Chris, you're gonna you're gonna do our, our last little example here, uh, which at, this one actually made me like laugh hard out loud because I was not expecting it, and I think it was like after a page turn, and it just really got me. So the context here is that this is sort of the end of a conversation between April, one of the uh, sort of winners of the contest, and Thunder who is the CEO of Camelot Burger Sun. Now, of course, his real name isn't Thunder. He chose that name. There's a whole sequence later on about how he came around to that. And we don't get that here, but we kind of get like a little bit of insight into the type of person that Thunder is. My way's got me hanging on a smooth chill. Why fix what ain't broke? Like my bro Squishins used to say, <laughs> worry is the nemesis of productive thought. One must first decide that the tasks before them can be surmounted, and then the mind's only preoccupation should be with devising the methodology to accomplish such a task. Or something like that. April stared at him. His polo and shorts now dirty from lying in the street, half the side of his frosted tips matted with blood, and an unflappable smile slapped across his face. One of your bros said that? Yeah, Squishins could go off the deep end when he had the right mix of Jaeger and Kahlua running through him. Uh-huh. April didn't quite believe him. However, she didn't see any productive result in arguing the point. Instead, she quit pacing and hopped onto the table next to him. I, um, I don't know if I've said it yet, but thank you. For getting a classic lesson in ass-stomping? No worries. For running in the way you did to help us. Even you had to have noticed there were more people than you could have possibly handled, but you still ran in full force. Sweet. Nah, you're my girl bros. They go for you, they gotta deal with the thunder. April started to laugh in spite of herself. I keep meaning to ask. The first day you said we could call you Thunder for short. What's your full name? Fucking sexual Thunder. <laughs> Sorry, that still is really funny. <sighs> yeah, so that's the type of character we're dealing with here in Thunder. It's very over-the-top frat broiness is happening constantly every time he's on the page. But of course, then you break into sometimes he'll randomly say something to insinuate that he's got a little bit more in him than that. Like he's maybe putting on this persona. Right. So that's why it sort of works. And it's it's not totally annoying because you do get a little break and you see through the facade like, oh, maybe... Yeah, maybe there is there is some something more something deeper going on under there and he's not just, you know, chugging beers all the time. Yeah, so I I got to say we had a lot of good things to say about this book. Uh I don't think this is terrible even if this was not for me. Uh however, we do have a short list of things that we didn't love, thought were bad, maybe needed to change. Um I don't know. This was a little tough like this is definitely something I hated, but it was also 2013. This is also this guy's first book, so I imagine money was probably an object here. I, look, man, I was like immediately terrified of this cover because it looks like what would happen if you asked Midjourney to produce a tropical Windows 95 screensaver. <laughs> it is just 
uncanny weirdness. I don't like it. It is. It's a pear a... in water, and then there's just vague island imagery behind it. The pear is maybe kind of like a little bit glowing in a way. It's it's simultaneously generic and also weird. I don't know if that was possible. Yeah, there's something really uncanny and creepy about it, and I I'm not sure how to explain that, but. I would not, if I saw this cover, I would not pick it up. Like, you just put a giant-ass pear on the cover of your book, and there's something about that that drives me away. I don't know what it is, because it's not like I have anything against pears, necessarily. (laughs) It's just like, fuck pears. It's just a weird, well, in the title, too, pears and perils on the cover. mm. Pears are very much like a sort of sea fruit for me. Like, if I had to tier list fruit, pears would be on on the sea tier for me, because... They're fine. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, even when pears are really you. good, though, when pears are really good and juicy, they're like too juicy in a way that you bite into it and you're covered in the juice constantly. Well, you see, that's why the best way to eat a pear is grilled. Grilled pears are fantastic. They are the best way to have a pear. I stand by this. Yeah, um, I also all cut them up, put them in a salad, that kind of a pear. Just eating a pear with your hand is generally not as great as some other. Yeah, I, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna agree with you. That's a C. It's a C tier fruit for me as well. So maybe this is my own fruit bias, but I just find the cover unappealing in a way that's mildly creepy. Like not something that would kill me, but something that might give me a paper cut, and I just don't. I'm good. I'm good. I don't. Just gonna be a little life. bit careful. I don't have to have a paper cut, so it's not a big deal if it happens. But at the same time, I would just would rather not. Yeah, don't want it. I eat a lot of hot peppers. I don't. I don't need to deal with that. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I know this seems like a really petty thing, but when you're deciding if you want to read a book or not, the, the cover is a factor. <laughs> <sighs> um, There were also some early sections and then many descriptions sprinkled throughout the book that felt, I don't know, a little like tedious or overwrought. I, I guess I'm not sure of the best way to say this, but they were sort of wooden and drawn out, just like big old banquet tables when a little lap desk would have sufficed. You know, if we're going with the wooden joke there, there are several things like this. I can, I can actually pull up some examples since uh, that would probably be helpful. (laughs) Told you that you wouldn't believe me. Anyway, I wake up and he starts talking to me about finishing the ceremony and how he needs to get reunited with his realm. So after we get past the initial shock, he says he needs to get the pair from the ceremony because it's the only way. Oof. The oof in this circumstance was an exhalation of both surprise and pleasure as Dr. Kaya Hale surged forward onto Clint with a forceful kiss. It was quite proper, no tongue, but there was a ferocity in it Clint wouldn't have suspected the good doctor was concealing. Why did we need that long-ass explanation of the oof and and all those... I just didn't think that that really added anything it just felt like i had to go through an extra door that shouldn't have been there you know which is how i felt with a lot of these like a joke vestibule that you're walking into (laughs) yes yes a joke vestibule to finish the sentence god damn it just let me read the sentence um there's a few other ones here's another one april squinted and leaned forward slightly neither actually improving her vision but still making her feel as though they had why? Uh, I get I get the just... joke that's like when, you know, you're trying to concentrate when you're driving, so you turn the music down as if that'll make you see better. Leaning in towards that kind of funniness, but it doesn't really quite execute, I think. Yeah, um, there were a few other ones like that, too. Uh, I can just go back to the beginning of the book because I remember feeling it 
most acutely at the very beginning. You know, we get this we get this over these overwrought descriptions of these initial like quote unquote bad guys in the book that have no relevance at all later and I don't know why we spent so many pages talking about this. Especially Edward, so, right? No, I was talking about Mr. Henderson and Dr. Carruthers. The guys oh, yeah. that, like, like, why did we spend a <laughs> whole chapter that. on that? So I guess I should just explain instead of reading from the text. We learn, we learn that Clint's job, his day job, is a professional scapegoat. And what that means is he is hired by companies to take the blame for something so that a real employee at the company does not have to suffer the consequences of a bad choice or, um, or like a, a poor job they did it's you know it's kind of a funny silly thing but i don't think we i really think i would have just skipped that whole thing (laughs) i i probably would have not done that because i gotta say it made me go oh my god this is very boring and not what i want to read i feel like there could have been just a very simpler, a simple way to introduce that in a, like a paragraph. I don't know that we need. Yeah, like it's just him getting chapter. kicked out of the office at the start, right. and then the same guy coming out immediately, like one page later, to say with like an envelope that. of money. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I th- really think that um, we could have started. It would have been a better opening to start with the second half of that first paragraph where. It's like mono and then sprinkles the cat. I think that was way more interesting. So that, yeah. And again, there were just a lot of descriptions in here that felt a little wooden and too long for what they were doing. They weren't really adding much. So, you know, there were just some misplaced um, areas of attention in terms of description. Similar to the wooden thing. I mean, although we did just praise this book for the character detailing, I do feel like some of the characters are on this almost anime-like level of character archetyping. We do get more depth for sure. It's not totally that way where, like, in, you know, your generic anime, there's, like, there's the smart girl, and here's the tech guy, and here's the strong one that likes to eat food. Like, it's kind of, but it's Falcon and Thunder in particular for me. They do get a little bit of color and flavor later on, but they're both kind of the same character in a way in that they are someone who chose to lean into an obnoxious stereotype for some weird personal reason based on some previous event that happened in their life. And the book does try to have this through line of the one event in someone's life that fundamentally alters their personality. But I feel like Falcon and Thunder could have been the same character and you could have chosen one and I get that you need, like, the CEO's son to be there for, like, that insider thing for the end of the story. But maybe Falcon and Thunder could have been the same thing and there could have been just, like, two contest winners. I mean, even April didn't really need to be there. Yeah. Right? right? Like, you could wrap I... her up into Dr. Kaya in a way. Yeah. I guess I... um, I I don't totally agree with the... I think I think the character descriptions and detailing and archetyping was pretty good. I don't feel like this was very anime. Then again, I don't I don't read. It wasn't anime. totally like that. Definitely not. There was there was some flavor and coloring, like I said. But it, basically, I found Falcon and Thunder to be annoying to read a lot of the time. I I do agree with you in that the number of characters could have been pared down for such a short 
story <laughs> like pared down oh fuck i didn't mean that um but you're right i mean dr hale and kaya i'm sorry doc sorry dr dr hale and april could have been condensed into one person and falcon and thunder i think i think if thunder was falcon this would have been fine <laughs> this sounds like a power like, rangers episode right now thunder falcon go thunder falcon um yeah honestly if it was just thunder falcon or or what <laughs> if like yeah if thunder was falcon so if we had you know maybe the female the daughter of the ceo who turned into a hippie and then at the end of the book we find out you know that she's actually a really high-powered lawyer and she changed because her sister almost died from cancer i totally agree that there could have been some uh, condensing of of those couple of characters and it would have only improved things because i don't know that we really got anything by separating out those folks when they had a similar function Falcon is there to do the lawyer thing at the end and also be right. the stand-in to be like, hey, perhaps we should have some considerations for the native population of this island when we're coming over here as a big corpo kind of group happening here. You could have rolled that up into Thunder, too. You know, well, like and it. also Clint and Dr. Hale already are not assholes about that yes, stuff, so exactly. one of them could have filled that role. Yeah, so, okay. I agree with you that. Um so I found some of the moments in this book just painfully lame and corny. Like when the ultimate reason that Clint Kodawande can overpower Felbert and Lawrence is just through the power of wanting his friends to be okay. I mm. Classic just, stuff there. Just sheer, that's, just sheer that's willpower. Every fourth anime in the world <sighs> is like that's the thing that helps people power up and fight the the main boss. Is I'm I have the power of my friends, and then the evil guy is like, oh, I don't need friends because friends bad, and I can do everything by myself. And then the main character goes, Ah, friendship, ah, and punches the evil guy. Yeah, I really, really dislike that, especially because this book did so many other things well. It That's your felt American individualism so... talking, Paris. You need to reconsider. <sighs> it felt so lazy when it was like, and then through the just the sh- power of sheer will, we can overcome gods. It's like I would just would have rather it been through the power of cleverness. We came up with a way to trap them or whatever, or. Power figured of research, something maybe. Out. Like, through the power Kaya. of doc Yeah, through Kaya's knowledge. Like, anything else. There were so many opportunities for this. I, I actually thought Sprinkles the Cat was going to do them a solid. And then he, he just wasn't off there. halfway through the book. Yeah, he just wasn't there for this. And I was like, why not have the demigod Sprinkles the Cat help out? That you would know, be great. Like- actually, like, the cat comes in and Lawrence is, like, doesn't care about the cat because it's just a cat. And then turns out that's the one thing the fixer didn't consider, and right. that that the cat is able to do some undoing of things because he's the king of the island, I, you know. Or or he's like the cat is Felbrin's bastard, and like Lawrence kicks him, and then he's like "fuck you, Lawrence," and just like smushes him because he touched his child, you know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. there could have been th- just anything that wasn't, and then through just thinking about it. <laughs> really hard and going I mean a lot of the point of Clint's story arc here is that at the start he's sort of he's not detached right they're trying 
the author tries to paint Clint as I don't know what to describe it. It's not sociopathic. It's No, but, no, no, no. It's it's that he decided that he wanted to live kind of an ascetic life where he was uh he had done, I don't remember if they actually name that he had become Buddhist, but it was either that or something very similar where he just decided he wanted to be on a path of not wanting because want was what he felt destroyed people and destroyed people in his life. And, you know, so I thought that was a great, no, that was fine. That was a great characterization. Yeah, the I, I like trying that. to tie that in with having friends, which is a little bit different, right? Yeah. He's trying to tie He's trying to say that Clint actually wanted his friends to be okay. And therefore, so yeah, Clint I don't didn't want dumb. any of his friends to be okay before, but he wanted he Mrs. Rose to be okay. Uh, yeah, I know. That's why I he don't... did that. Yeah, I just think I, this is why I, this is like another reason why I think yes, this exactly. whole idea is bad, and yes. that there could have been a much better convention here, a, a number of other better conventions to have figured out. Even just like how it, they get because out of they situation. were nice to the cat, and that's why the cat helped yeah, like, by, a, totally. by a fluke. It's just the power of happening to be nice to someone because you never know that works right. out for you. Yeah, I think we've given a bunch of other examples offhand that we didn't even come up with before <laughs> before yes. the show that could have worked. Um, I just want to touch on one more plot thing that we discussed, and then then you can go to your final point. Um, I know you were like, okay, so at the at the end of the very very end, like some of the some of the final sentences before we get into sort of the um, epilogue. We discover that the goddess nature is actually the same goddess Ahlai who Korowande was in love with, as was Felbrin. And, you know, so for the whole book, you're actually thinking these are two different goddesses. Um, And Chris, you were like, I don't get why she'd be locked up, why she would let him be in prison for so long, and why the separation. And you said this is just kind of a confusion of motivation that you didn't think was necessary. I mean, I agree. Like, I don't, I don't think it... I don't you think didn't have to have that. Yeah. Ahalai be the same as nature. It's like an unnecessary detail in the ending that doesn't really add anything. Yeah, it almost felt like gotcha when no one needed to be got. <laughs> like, <laughs> you yeah. know? It's like someone like kind of sneezing near you and being like, gotcha. And you're like, you sneezed? I, I guess that's fine. You're over there. I yeah, I, I and but then again, you know, I thought about it and I didn't feel that this story was mean spirited at all. It actually seems like the author had a pretty good sense of humor and was pretty grounded. So I, I think that I, I'm going to, you know, g- give him the benefit of the doubt here and say that this could be just one of those like, but God's brains are different and we may not be able to understand God, the motivations of deities because we only have human brains and we don't think on long enough timelines and, you know, don't consider the world that the same way they do. So this could just be like a, I don't know, fucking gods, man. You know, they just do weird God shit. You yeah, know? Okay. But she got mad. She got mad because he picked a flower off her mountaintop to give to her. Because he wanted to give the flower to Ahalai, who was also nature, so she got pissed at him for picking the flower off the mountaintop and imprisoned him. I guess it maybe at least if at the end you were like, I'm very serious about nature, I'm the embodiment of nature, don't fucking pick flowers. Well, it's because he disregarded a rule 
of nature for a fl- for a flippant a kind of flippant reason right like just to impress a girl he liked even though nature is the girl he liked which he didn't realize i get why she'd be pissed about that as as i'm still wearing this this cowl i feel like i have the right to be like yes i would be pissed about a mortal <laughs> picking a flower that i said not to pick um anyway I guess right. in that case, I'm like, then why did she love him? This is another kind of the same thing oh, I don't that we know. see a lot yeah. of the time where it's like, well, why do they like each other? Well, I don't think we got enough backstory on that to know. And frankly, I'm yeah. okay with it because it doesn't it doesn't really have any bearing on the immediate yeah, story. I, it's so. not really a major point against it. No, no. So, yeah, I think the thing about this book is while it's well-crafted, it ju- for me, it never really excelled at anything. I mean, it's definitely above average, I would say. And this isn't a huge deal at all. It's kind of funny. The plot is kind of interesting. The characters are kind of detailed and have a little bit of depth. It's a solid 6 to 7 out of 10, depending on how nice you are with your grading. In the sea of terrible we've read, this is like coming up for fresh air for a brief moment. But I just don't know if it added up into great and it's kind of hard to articulate why although not everything has to be great right yeah and i i mean i i agree with you on like a slant so i think that it's i don't think it's that it never excelled at anything i think it actually did excel in some areas but somehow those successes didn't compound to a great book in the end like it didn't add up to anything it was sort of like they were just isolated oh they did this part really well and this part really well but i and i i don't know i think that we both feel this way because i don't think either of us are into this kind of book so that could be why we don't feel like it really amounted to an awesome book um just because i don't know i i like i'm not into adult scooby-doo and stuff like i i don't know what it is but i do not we've talked about this before but i generally do not find myself interested in funny books because largely they are just not funny enough to warrant the amount of time i have to spend reading them yeah if that makes any sense medium for humor i would say the only real like book that i found uproariously funny ever was the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy series Something about Douglas Adams writing in particular is the only thing that I've ever found like this is a funny ass book and I would recommend it to people that want to have a good laugh. But nothing has ever really touched that same spot for me. It it doesn't scratch the itch quite the same way. I'm not sure what it is. Um, It's been something I've been trying to articulate for a while. I think because with Douglas Adams stuff, there's a lot of wordplay involved in the jokes and Fair as enough. text as a medium, that's kind of where you'd want the jokes to be. And also Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy gets into a lot of like philosophical existential stuff. So when I read it when I was like 12 or 13, that was like my first exposure to like space is really big and you're an insignificant mode of dust in all of this. So right. I think that like tickled my brain nicely with sort of the trappings of humor around it. But yeah, I'm not really ever on the lookout for like a funny time with books. And it's not that I don't want to do that. It it should be a thing that's out there. And certainly there's parts of books that I do find funny. Um, But it's just not something that I reach for all the time. And maybe you're right. That's maybe why I'm not not out here being like, this is a fantastic book that everyone should read. Yeah, I don't don't think the... I just don't think the investment pays off with anything like this. And this is just, you know, particular to us. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think. Do we have any other I mean, stuff? This kind of felt like 
I, I want actually while we're on that topic, to me while I was reading this, I was comparing this to You're Going to Mars. Yeah, me too. A lot me too. because they have a similar feel of like here's an ensemble cast of like these different types of characters and they all might have like a funny slant to them. And You're Going to Mars tried to add a little bit of depth to the characters, but I think this book did it a lot better. And yeah, the plot in this one was a little bit more concise and well done than what we saw in You're Going to Mars as You're well. You're Going to Mars, I found, was, like, super boring. I wasn't interested in it at all. And I, I, it's been a while since we read it, but I just remember not not liking it. And this one yeah. impressed, this one definitely impressed me in some ways. So I, I agree. I had, you know. Wait, uh, totally different tier. Um, yeah, if you're doing that thing, then, and if you were comparing those two books there, I would definitely recommend this over your going to Mars. Any yeah, day of the week. I agree. Um, uh, just a couple other things before we totally wrap up with our Can We Fix It section. Uh, hmm, Chris, these were all you, so I'm going to let, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna let Generally, you Generally... So even though I found Thunder annoying in general, I he has this moment towards the end of the book where they basically lay out his life philosophy, which amounts to he was sort of the he was the person that was doing everything that was expected of him, um, you know, trying to follow in his father's footsteps, getting ready to take over the company and doing everything very safely. And he felt like that was, you know, he was never really able to be himself because he was doing everything just in the particular way that you should be doing it. And he ends up appropriating this Thunder persona because he analyzes the data and finds out it seems like the frat bros seem to have the most happiness in their life. So I'm just going to follow the data and try to be that way. And part of that is having this, you know, being willing to just do things instead of overthinking it, which to me is like a little bit of self-delusion, right? There's a little bit of element of that where you kind of have to tell yourself, fuck it, I don't care. Not like I don't care what happens, but I can't think too hard about what happens or else I'll be trapped in my same spot forever. And I actually really agree with that life philosophy, so I liked seeing it pop up here. I guess Not that you should never be careful. Not that you should never be careful, but in a lot of ways, you should also be willing to not be careful. Yeah, I I think my disagreement with you here is purely a semantic one because I don't think self-delusion is at all near the definition you're giving it or using in this context. This is just about being willing to take chances instead of always living by strict calculation. I don't think that has anything to do with self-delusion. I don't understand that. To me, it's about the delusion part is telling yourself to like damn the consequences. So if you have a part of your brain that's always weighing pros and cons, the only way to get around that anxiety is to delude yourself and say there is no risk or there's little less risk than you think, which but could the, be true that, or false. But that, well, no, I mean, but that would be lying to yourself, which I don't think you're doing when you're saying, hey, be a little less uptight about things that are not major. I don't think it's, I don't know. I just, I, I just, again, this is a semantic sure. argument, so I'll drop it, but same I, here. Like, yeah. I I generally agree with the sentiment because to be transparent here, this is something I still struggle with. I have had uh I have I'm also a person who has had to live my life by strict calculation for a variety of reasons. Uh and I struggle with that still. And sometimes the struggle is so great that I will just oscillate wildly to the other extreme. <laughs> And but just for like one moment, I'll I'll just be like, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to do this one thing that's 
impulsive. And uh, do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to have two milkshakes in the same day, which is my self-delusion that I did recently when I discovered that (laughs) you can just make milkshakes at home with the blender. I thought there was some magic secret sauce or something. I don't know what it was. I was always having to go out and buy milkshakes. But turns out all milkshake is is just it's just ice cream with a little milk in it. Guys, I don't know if you knew this. It's just slightly less solid ice cream. Chris, everyone knows this. I don't know. Sometimes this is one of those things where I'm like, do I need to take you to places more often? Like sometimes I'm just like, Chris, man, what cave have you been inside of for I just never years? considered that you could just basically kind of water down ice cream a little bit. That's what a milkshake is. I don't know what I thought was going on. I don't know what, <laughs> what there was some black magic that. happening or there was some secret ingredient that made it blend better. Like you had to like do the ratio just no, I think I was afraid of like getting ratio is wrong when it's really just it's just whatever milk in there depending on how much you like thickness to it and for me right it's I just like it's a silk just... milkshake so it's basically just throw in like a thimble of milk in there and then slurp <laughs> down the ice cream yeah i mean for me i don't make milkshakes at home because i only like malted milkshakes it's a dangerous dangerous thing for me to know this is dark knowledge for me paris oh well why don't you get yourself some malt powder and your life's about to fucking change again what does that do what does malt powder do Oh, do you know not? Do you know not the delicious wonders of malt? <laughs> I mean, I, I've had a Whopper in my life before. Yeah, so that flavor is present there. Uh, I don't know how to describe it, but a malted milkshake just has this kind of underlying complexity to the flavor that I find <laughs> irresistible. It's a milkshake like if, with character depth. Yeah, like if you need to summon me, like just a nice extra malted chocolate milkshake will do it um yeah get some malt powder but i just i just find it i don't know i don't want a milkshake often enough that i would invest in malt powder and like you know i've had four in the last week jesus christ oh all right well sorry we are we got into a we fell into a milkshake void sorry about that back to the topic (laughs) at hand yeah, I, I generally agree that uh, I think it is good to loosen up a little bit. And I also think that if you're always loosey-goosey with stuff, it's probably good to be a little more thoughtful. You know, a little, a little balance is good for everybody. <laughs> right, turns out. Um, also, is the cat like a special one-off kind of cat where Zeus fucked a cat once and we got one cat god? Or is there a cat royalty hierarchy? Are there king cats or queen cats around I mean, the world of different geographical areas? I mean, is I too... Only cats? I too am also interested in more cat lore, but I like that it's divine lineage is left a mystery. And I think the I think the simp- this is like an Occam's razor situation. What do we know about gods? They love to fuck anything. The cat <laughs> is a demigod. So like the natural conclusion is... Probably Felbren, the trickster god, or some other god fucked cat, and then we we got a we got a half god cat. Like that's. I mean, that's, I that's I didn't it. want that detail to be in the story. I'm just trying Same. to consider yeah. like what is the ramifications of this one animal deity being a thing. Although, again, there's like the shark in the story, which is the other point that I got over uh-huh. here. Mono befriends a shark by pouring beers into the ocean sometimes, and the shark likes to follow him to. Dr- drink the beers yeah. yeah it likes the tastes of stouts and things like that mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. how does it it doesn't have a tongue is it but and you're in the water so you're not drinking the beer i guess you're breathing well, the beer well I because mean, gills 
Well, Chris, I mean, I first of all, sharks have tongues. I don't know why you think sharks don't have tongues. They do? It's kind of, yes. Why do they need tongues? <laughs> Probably for the same reason that many creatures do. Um, Fish don't have tongues. Uh, <laughs> sharks I, have tongues. Chris, shark, uh, sharks have tongues. I I don't know why you're yes, not sharks have me a on tongue. this. And is I referred did. to as a basial rather than a tongue. So it's not a... Paris, it's a basial. It's not a tongue. Chris, I'm going to drown you in the next milkshake <laughs> you make. <laughs> the bottom of a shark's mouth contains this little thick chunk of cartilage, and it doesn't have any taste buds or perform any functions. Oh, that's weird. I I was lied to about this by shark experts they were this is keeping... according to azanimals.com so I'm okay, not, no, i don't know, I don't know if right. that's really... maybe maybe and okay so when i worked at the aquarium this is how i learned you let this. a shark lick you one time <laughs> no i just i just found out that sharks have tongues um i don't understand i i just thought it um I thought it was sort of, you know, helpful to the whole chewing process like it is in humans and other animals because it helps you, um, I don't know, it helps you like position like, the food, I guess. Yeah, position, move it around, helps you swallow it, kind of like move, I don't know. But the but shark's maybe... tongue also cannot move, this basial, it cannot move it. So it's really just like this vestigial thing that's kind of like a tongue. So back to my point, how does the shark know what the beer tastes like to have beer preference i guess that's true i didn't i don't know anything about shark's ability to taste my shark knowledge does not go very deep uh so i don't know um but considering for animals like a shark breathing and drinking is the same thing so maybe they have a sense maybe they have some kind of breathing it's like a smell? sense it's like yeah. a smell kind of May- function right maybe that's what i'm thinking um Those digestible smell imagine if you could digest smells paris let me see if there is any way that sharks can uh sense flavor of any kind oh <laughs> it says okay sharktrust.org says that sharks can <laughs> sharks... trust the sharks sharks trust us. Just come in the water please we're <laughs> Sharks can taste bitter, sweet, salty, or sour. Okay, so all right, but with what? If it's not the tongue, um, they have taste-sensitive spots on them. Oh, uh, so through electroreception, they can taste things. Also, their sense of smell is a factor. So we were sort of right. Um, okay. Yeah. So I yeah. Okay. So they can. I... So they can enjoy a beer. Um. <laughs> I, I guess theoretically so yeah this this all happens because mono is like thinks the shark is gonna eat him and the shark goes to bite him on his like surfboard and he just throws a beer and just gets it right in the mouth and so the shark chomps on the beer and mono just keeps pouring beer because he realizes the shark is into it and so now they just have this weird relationship um yeah the shark comes to save them at one point or like helps them get one over mm-hmm. on Justin and Dustin. Yeah, it they, scares like, them. It scares them into turning their boat around. All right, Chris. So can we can we fix it? 
I don't think it really needs fixing. Sure, like, I know my opinion was like, ah, it's fine, it's not great, but it's one of those kinds of fine, not great for me that does. I don't really have any advice for how to make it better. I just think it's not necessarily for me. I think maybe upping the humor a little bit more would could have helped my opinion of it. It's plenty funny on its own. Um, one example I could give is like, what if Thunder and the alcoholic shark bonded over beer somehow? That'd be a pretty funny thing to think about. And they both kind of have that love of beer and brewskis or what have you. So like stuff like that, like, you know, again, making my brains, neurons connect and be like, funny shark is drunk and also funny frat bro. Maybe that could have done something. It's a very light. Can we fix it? I don't think it really needs fixing. I mean, I've got, I've got something. So uh, similarly to you, this isn't my genre of book at all, but I still think it was a much better version of You're Going to Mars and is not inherently a terrible book. I think it succeeded in a lot of respects, you know, keeping things generally concise overall with, with some exceptions, not making character stereotypes, you know, good, decent pacing, handling indigenous stuff in an anti-racist way. And it didn't feel like a stale hero's journey. We had some fresh spices and ingredients, you know, a lot of fruits and veggies in there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the only changes I'd recommend would be to like trim up those excess descriptions here and there. Maybe make some of the points less lame or corny. You know, like we talked about with sort of the the ultimate power of friendship or whatever. Um, and I think Chris, you had a good point of cutting the unnecessary backs, like not sorry, not cutting the backstories, but like combining some characters that just didn't need to be. You know, could have could have just served as one person. Um, otherwise, I, I mean, I guess if you're looking for like a funny but still grounded sort of friend adventure set in the modern day, may, I mean, maybe check this out if that's if that's what you're into. I don't really know who the hell is into this kind of book. I mean, I guess Luchek, because I think he also yes. recommended you're going to Mars. <laughs> like, I just realized yes. that. Um, <laughs> so it turns out he has a type for his yeah. books. So I guess if you're into books that are trying to be sort of funny silly and not super serious and you know you like a little little modern day adventure this might be for you um certainly not for me and i i definitely wouldn't recommend this unless i knew someone wanted that specific niche this isn't a book i i think i could generally recommend to people just because it's i i feel like it would fall flat with a, a lot of folks but um yeah no i don't i don't think it was truly terrible uh i think especially Excuse me, especially knowing this was the first published book from this author compared to uh, last week with someone's first published work. You know, we had we had a real big difference here, I yeah. think, uh, in terms of quality. This seems like it went through a couple of revisions, let's say. Yeah, definitely seems like they had some helpful readers. And, you know, this this author, uh, Mr. Hayes, really seemed like he did some deep thinking and good work on a lot of parts of this book. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's it for me. Just some minor changes. So yeah, not, not so bad. Pretty decent. Yeah. Yeah. And again, thank you to Luchek for recommending this yeah. to us. It was a relatively short, breezy read and you know, a, a nice breath of fresh air. Like I said before. Yeah. Thanks so much for being a patron. And we, we always recommend, or we always appreciate recommendations because as we both just explained at length, this isn't really something I think we'd we'd check out normally, so you know it's it's interesting to yeah. get a different perspective. So thanks. All right, speaking of, let's thank all the patrons. You can join us in our worship of Terriblo, who is probably not as nice as Kotawande. Uh, so thank you. <laughs> 
The Greg, Veronica, Will, D, Jared, Arant, Senia, Jakub, Lycoris, Elliot, Kieran, Martin, Miri, Yanka, David, Anya, Patricia, Austin, Donnie, Beast with the Least, Scott H., Robin, Laxtodes, Of the Void, The Taco Eating Unicorn, Last Man on Earth 01, Funny Robot with Antennas, Hobbyboy93, Harry, Renee, Emmy, The Ugly One, Bleach Black Cat, Julius the Nice Dragon, and our Kofi donor Kiwi Thing. Please present your gifts of nice, godly, divine fruits to Terriblo and to us. I prefer a nice set of strawberries. Them shits are so expensive, though, so I don't buy them that often. Watermelons are hard to carry home, so send me some strawberries and watermelons, please. Uh, I will take one extra malted chocolate milkshake and uh, one pomegranate. Thank you. All right, Paris. Well, then off to, I guess, you know, let's see if we can get ourselves an island adventure where we're also paid $50,000 to shoot a commercial. That's the kind of like deal that I want. Give me like a year of more than a year of salary for me. That's kind of sad to say. <laughs> for. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I just shooting I mean, a commercial and maybe letting a god set up shop in my head. Well, I also think it's not that sad because you don't work full time, so maybe don't maybe don't compare that. Um, but yeah, what do I? I don't know. I don't have a good fuck. I don't have a good sign off. Uh, all right. Well, then I guess I'll just see you later. Drop off your divine fruits to us and Tariblo. <laughs> now I just want a malted milkshake. God damn it! You can go make it. Don't think. Don't overthink it, Paris. Just do. Just make four milkshakes in one week. I don't have malt powder, and I don't have chocolate ice cream, and it's too much work. And I will... <laughs> Damn it. Just do. Live like thunder. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Terrible Book Club. Terrible Book Club is an independent podcast produced by your hosts, Paris and Chris. Sound design and audio editing by Chris, with sound effects and music by Epidemic Sound and sometimes also Chris. Our theme song is Kiss by Yearn, which is, you guessed it, actually, also Chris. You can find more of his soothing synthy sounds on Bandcamp at yearn.bandcamp.com. Do you want us to review a book of your choice on the show? Do you want access to some extra audiovisual weirdness? If so, become a patron at patreon.com slash terriblebookclub. If you'd like to send us a one-time tip instead, you can do that at ko-fi.com slash terriblebookclub. You can also support TBC for free by sharing the show on social media, following our accounts on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or Goodreads, telling your friends about your favorite episode, or by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or anywhere else on the internet. To send us book recommendations or your adorable pet photos, send an email to terriblebookclub at gmail.com. All right, Chris, our last point today is a fruit tier list. What, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing here? I think we've done this before in our personal lives, but I think this is good for listeners to just to know our fruit opinions, really. what You can't live without knowing what kind of fruits we like here. So immediately... S-tier fruits, watermelon and strawberry. When you combine them into one polar seltzer bottle, I am all about it. Strawberry watermelon polars out here doing the God's work over here. That is a godly drink. If you could somehow combine a strawberry and watermelon together into one fruit, the strawmelon or the waterberry, that would be truly the fruit of the gods, I think. Chris, did you say it sounded like you said F level? 
Uh, S level. S O like special or yes super. I'm not really sure what that's supposed to stand for, but I don't know if you. But like in video games, yeah, yeah, in video games, often S tier is better than A. Right. So let's say super stellar, whatever. Yes. I also really love watermelons and strawberries. Um. Ooh, but pomegranate's my favorite fruit. Really? Mm-hmm. That I is a god-tier pom- I don't fruit. love the taste of a pomegranate, to be honest with you. They're I love fine. It. They're fine, but I just don't like the amount of work I have to do to get that flavor, which I'm not uh, that it's wild like, about. It's like if blood were a fruit. It's just great. I don't know. <laughs> okay, like, all right, if you want to put well, it that way. Well, it doesn't have that horrible copperness, but it's got a level of... Paris blood, regular blood drinker can attest. That. <laughs> no, I just... Sorry, maybe I should have phrased this differently. It's got this subtle bitterness to it that is so delightful to me because it's also sharp. It's like tangy, which is, I think... I don't know. I, it's I can, really... That's what I like about the pomegranate taste as well. It's that bitter note that I don't mm-hmm. love. Oh, see, I like the the tanginess, and I love that it's so unique in form. Like you just have these little these little gems of tastiness. True, you just, it just does gonna, have a particular keep thing. You know, yeah. nothing else is like a pomegranate. Um, I just mm, I love them. I do blueberries. I think like a basket of blueberries feels similar to a pomegranate yeah. to me, and that's like a little tiny bunch of little fruity globules that you can pop into your mouth one after the other. Yeah, if you but they have don't like but a hundred blue- of a fruit. But blueberries don't have the crunch that pomegranates have. They have that that okay. bursting and then that crunch. It's just oh, it's so multifaceted. And I know that opening them is annoying, but I actually find it quite meditative and relaxing. I just like put on music or a podcast and get to work. <laughs> I gotta get the whole and thing. It's half an album before I can get actually get into this thing. No, I'm serious. I really do this on my break at work, like a couple times a week. I will just go to the kitchen put a podcast or music on and I will just cut my pomegranate and eat it and it's a great way to spend a half hour and like unwind man. It's... <laughs> half an hour for a fruit is too much time for me man if I can't get into a fruit in three minutes it's <laughs> Chris you need to appreciate the process as well as the output you need to appreciate the I process. can get that because that's for me that's hard boiled eggs that's I oh, love peeling I a hard boiled egg and I then just like drizzling a little egg. hot sauce on top mm. and popping the whole thing in there yep I guess maybe I have to think of a pomegranate like a hard-boiled egg. Okay, so you're S tier for pomegranates? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I put them up like, you know, B or A. They're definitely higher okay. up. All right, all right. They, they have personality, that. they have flavor. All right, you okay. won't be smote this day. <laughs> you won't be, uh, yeah, slung, slain, slunk. Anyway, uh, how about the just general citrus family stuff? I'm a oh, huge yeah. citrus I love guy. Citrus. Love it. Um, I mean, oranges are just kind of tough because it's so hard to get like an in-season really perfect orange. I that's think fair. when that's, that's happening, that's that then it's S tier. Any other orange is like B tier, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of crappy oranges out there, but yeah, I love me a citrus. I love oranges, lemons, limes. I love uh, yeah, all that um, stuff. Lemons and limes in general up at the A tier. I know I kind of had a lime thing before, but you showed me the error of my ways. <gasps> you changed your mind about limes because of me. <laughs> yes, I, I I always consider them to be inferior lemons for a while. Mm. Like I would just want the sourness of the lemon all the time more than the sort of the the slightly less sour lime. And generally, I for me it was like lime flavored things. I always hated like lime seltzers or lime um, tortilla chips. Like when they have the hint of lime tortilla chips, those yeah. are fucking disgusting. I mean, a lot but, of lime a lot of lime flavor can be bad. I agree with you there. 
But like actually squeezing a lime on some like meat. Yeah. I know that's not your thing, but like just squeezing like on some chicken or like you know uh, or what like. What are you a talking steak? about? Lime on a taco is great, even if it doesn't have meat in it. True. Yeah. So like that kind of thing. I'm definitely citrus in general. Mm-hmm. A tier, even like the weird citruses. I'm yeah, totally citrus down is, with that. Citrus is S and A tier for me. Like I had a like sour. Give me soursop. Give me like anything that's kind of tart and not super sugary. I'm into. Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think what else do I like that's um bananas. Where do you put bananas? Well, I really like barely ripened bananas. Those are like Yeah. I love having those with cookie butter. It is a fantastic Ooh, dessert. That's a combo I haven't heard of. Yeah, barely ripe banana and cookie butter. Fucking incredible. I have it like a couple times a week. I don't know why this has turned into like, <laughs> what are our diets around fruit? I, but, um, for me, a banana really is great dessert. just for how fucking cheap they are. You can get so oh, yeah. many of them for like oh, $2. You, dude, you freeze them, put them in, make your smoothies taste like ice cream. Like, oh, they're so good. They're, um, for the value alone, bananas are like minimally B tier. I feel like they're A. Yeah, I feel like for functionality, they're definitely A tier, B plus. B plus when they're really ripe. I fucking hate an overly sweet banana. Blah. Um, we already talked about pears. They're generally the lowest on the list yeah, for me just because I'm never really reaching for a pear that yeah. often. Peaches also, are like, good in certain applications. Pe- yeah, I B-tier. don't love a peach anymore. I would say, I would honestly, I might put peaches in D tier. No, no, you get a good peach again. If you grill a peach or you get a nice, nice one in a salad, mm, it's good. It is, yeah, but it I, is hard mm. to get one at, at good, at a good level of ripeness though. I mean, all those, like, Fair. weird interbred, just, like, stone fruit things, like the nectarines and, like, the ones that they cross with other things, I'm just generally not a fan of those. Yeah, like, they're, I will have them if they're, if they're in a drink, like a mixed, like a cocktail, absolutely, or if they're sure. already in a salad or grilled for me, wonderful, but purchasing them for my home, no. Yes. Not generally. <laughs> it's, it's not, <laughs> no, not generally not, what I'm into, I would say. No. Uh, how about like the melon family also is a little bit too much work for me. I mean, honey, yeah. I'm not the one that bitches about all the honeydew and the fruit cocktail because it's still fine. But just like buying a melon by itself and like cracking into it and carving it out is not worth the amount of effort I want to like. Really yeah, I, I agree. Like I like me a melon, but they're like, this is another fruit that's just very difficult to find at its peak deliciousness. It's like they're always the watery, hard versions of melon, yeah. which is, like, not very You don't get the, the, the nice sweetness out of it. To be clear, I don't think there's any tea, fruits out there that I would say are outright disgusting. I, well, I haven't tried a durian, so I can't tell you for sure. Yeah, I I gotta say, uh, pineapple and I haven't been friends since Excuse I was... Excuse me? Pineapple is, well, for me, that's A. Pineapple's A. The only reason it's not S is because it hurts after a while. Well, okay. I, I have a unique problem. So pineapple, pi- pineapples, uh, pineapples, Pineapple. pineapples are a class of fruit called a bromeliad, and they are the only bromeliads that humans consume, as far as I remember. I am allergic to them, like mildly. So when I eat, uh, if if I'm just eating chunks of pineapple, I will throw up very soon. <laughs> And okay, I so will get a stomach ache. It will not be a good time. Um, so I can, like, as I've gotten older, I've gained a little more of a tolerance, but I've always associated that flavor with feeling sick. So I just, 
I fucking Fair don't. Enough. I fucking hate Fair pineapple, enough. You have man. a physical reaction to it. For me, they're delicious, yeah. and I wish they didn't hurt your mouth after so long. Like, you can't eat, you can only eat, like, half a pineapple tops before, like, your tongue and teeth are screaming, I find. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. Um, another, I'm trying to think if there's any other fruits that I, uh, hmm. you don't like? I mean, yeah. apples are so so much variety in apples that it's hard to. Yeah, I, like I will apples. say that like the the red delicious apple is perhaps the worst of them. So that might be like an F tier fruit. I do love me I, a green apple and some brunos. green apple. Yes, uh, I, you know pairing. what? For me, it's all about that Granny Smith. You know, I like that sour. Give me the give me the sour yeah. granny apples. I, love I like those. yeah. I generally like apples. I get them sometimes for home because I do like to cut them up and have them with various nut butters. Very um, transportable. Very yep. easy to just get into. Fairly cheap. Say. Fairly cheap. Fairly cheap, but the B tier for me because they're not excelling, but they're just really yeah. you know yeah. workhorse fruits. Out Utilitarian the fruits. <laughs> yeah. Um, I okay, think blackberries I like... bad. Blackberries bad. I will say blackberries are bad. I don't like blackberries. Get those. Blackberries can be exceptional, but only when, again, only when they are at peak ripeness and they are so often just not, and they are kind of disappointing. Um, I like me a raspberry though. Raspberries are pretty good. There's like raspberries delicious. I would put those on it. Yeah. B or a, even like two old raspberries. I'm still down. (laughs) Yeah. I'm trying to think of the old raspberry in the back. That's like a little bit hairy. It's like, I've been here for three weeks. And you're like, (laughs) That's fine. I'll still eat you. Oh, thank you. you. Uh, <laughs> I I can name something we are both obsessed with, which is frozen mango. I love me frozen a fresh mango. mango I love from me a Trader fresh mango. Joe's is the greatest frozen fruit there ever was. It's ice yep. cream. It's little ice cream bites with fruit flavor in them. Yep. They are delicious. I'm gonna have some after we get off of this <laughs> call because there's a half a bag left downstairs because I always buy two bags every time I go to Trader Joe's. Yeah, I uh I have a mango protein smoothie like most days unless I'm feeling chocolate banana in which case I'll have a chocolate one, but it's usually a fruit dot content in your diet, it seems, Paris. Yeah, I'm a vegetarian. I eat a lot of fruits and vegetables, man. Like yeah, I don't okay, know what to tell you. Right. <laughs> That's fine. I'm not it's not a critique. It's just I'm surprised I I should be eating more fruit, I think. Yeah, fruit and vegetables are good for you. Um yeah, I, I eat a fair amount of them. Uh, like, did I have a whole bowl of mac and cheese for dinner today? Yes. Did I also eat an entire bowl of broccoli before that? Also, yes. <laughs> like, I basically had a bunch of uh, frozen Japanese-style rice from Trader Joe's for dinner. I should probably eat something else after this besides the mangoes. So, you know. Man, just have, a, just have a bowl of broccoli. I fucking love broccoli. I'll eat a bowl of broccoli anytime. Like raw? Like not even like roasting it or anything? Oh, no. I mean like, you know, heat it up with a little salt pepper. It's good. It's good. A little Broccoli from like right out the fridge. Just like like an animal just munching. No, I'm not not rabbiting that. Um, we should probably. Broccoli makes me real farty. Just letting you know. Really? that. Like oh, if, if, if I eat like fresh broccoli, I get real farty for some reason. So, you know what? So, remember, we've we've talked before about how I have an iron stomach, and this also applies to broccoli and beans, because neither of them make me flatulent, but... Uh, beans oh, don't gosh. do shit to me either. I've never experienced that. It's just specifically yeah. certain types of hard vegetables, like vegetables cruciferous, with a lot Cruciferous of- vegetables, yeah, with a lot of fiber and stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean... <sighs> All right. Well, this has been discussing fruit tiers with Terrible Book Club. Please, I guess, submit your favorite fruits. Submit your fruit tiers. Uh, you know, if there's fruits we missed, I'm sure we missed many. Please discuss. Yes, we'll be happily 
happily here to discuss more fruits. I, I really think we should move this conversation to after we talk about can we fix it, though, because we never got there. We just went into fruit tearing. Sure. <laughs> Sure. Maybe we'll put this at the end of the episode. It'll be a fun bonus for, for yeah. the fruit conversation. Um, 